1 Corinthians chapter 1. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? And thank God I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that none of you may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent, eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants, though, whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted Apollos, watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. We are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. I have implied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against the other. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? And then, if then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Speak as it to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? 
because there is one bread. We who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, not that of many, that they may be saved. The word of the Lord. Good morning. Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church. And once again, I appreciate those of you who are here who braved the, the race in the middle of the street um, and kind of blocking the traffic. Um, we had our doors open for a little while um, during the singing and stuff, and um, you could hear the cars going by. So we did that on purpose. Um, I wanted people to know we're here. And I think every year we've had the bike race, somebody's come and said, oh, there's a church here. Um, and uh, so I thought it was important to do that and be a part of it rather than feel like, you know, they're against us or something. Um, we had a good number this morning in our race and race reconciliation learning community. And I do recommend that if you weren't there, that you come next week. It was a good time, and we still have a lot to learn, a lot for God to show us. And so I urge that you come out next week. Your parking space will be back, I promise. Um, I've worked it out with the government. <laughs> Your parking space is good next week. Um, so as we continue in our sermon series on loving your neighbor, last week we learned what the Bible teaches about loving as a friend. Well, this week we look at our call to love the ecumenical community. And ecumenical is a fancy word for the broader church community. Different denominations and within those denominations, the different churches of that denomination with different styles and all that kind of stuff. And just like the division, just like division rather, became a problem for the church in Corinth almost 2,000 years ago. Fighting, lack of trust, and inability to work together continues between churches and individual believers today. In the infamous, candid, and profound words of Rodney King, can't we just all get along? I mean, shouldn't there be visible, active, pronounced love between God's people and churches and ministries? And this letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth, he deals with this issue. And I will not even pretend that the situation of divisions going on in Corinthian church are exactly like ours. But I believe that this God-given truth can be applied to our call and power to love ecumenically. To love because God has shared out the faith to many. Secondly, because God has shared out an unselfish faith. And finally, because God has shared out a unifying faith. 
Now, what I can gather from my understanding of the first century church here in Corinth is that there were house churches or gathering places led by different teachers or sometimes by the person whose house or clubhouse the gathering was meeting. Now, I'm not sure uh, how many small group house churches there were or, or how many large group gatherings between these churches they had. But apparently these letters, like this one we're reading from the Word of God in 1 Corinthians, along with different teachers, were sent from Paul, and they would circulate among the different groups and be read. But part of the Greek thinking of that day was to get into and and identify yourself with schools or or schools of thought of varying philosophies led by certain teachers, and, and the church followed suit. In fact, some of the names of the leaders of these schools and or groups are listed in chapter 1. And these are probably people who led them to the faith or who helped to establish their house churches. So apparently, if we were to be, you know, put these kind of straights on them, you had the school or denominations of Paul, one of Apollos, one of Cephas, one of Chloe, and maybe we can throw Stephanus in there. Now, the people on this list tell us a lot. Paul, being a Hellenistic Jew, gave more of that Roman Greco New Style Judaism, the modern class city Jew, and especially the Christian Gentiles would have loved him. Then you had Cephas, a Hebrew name for the apostle Peter, who was a Hebraic Jew, from and committed to the motherland Jews, the grassroots dude, not mixing it up with the Greeks and Romans so much. And then Apollos, an Egyptian Jew, whom we know was young in the faith, but was an incredible, professorial, heady teaching type. The smart, wise, wannabe Corinthians probably like his preaching expository style. With all of that said, you can understand why people flock to certain schools of Christian thought and communication, because they were being taught in ways not only that they could better be better understand, but I also believe from people whom they could connect with and have trust in to lead them, that touched them, or, or who, were fir- who was first to bring them to the faith. In fact, pa- later, Paul says, there is one faith, one truth coming in this letter through me, which means from God, but he also says, I recognize that you have different guides, he calls them. The word for guides means tutors or people entrusted to raise up a child in knowledge and in life, a life teacher, one who gives out doctrine or applications and understandings about the Scripture. Paul says this in chapter 3, beginning at verse 4. He says, For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos. Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. What is the Bible teaching and telling us about the faith? That God has called and allowed for there to be teachers, guides, different schools, so that the mysteries, the heavenly truths can be communicated to different people 
in different places and from different places. A church, a denomination, they, they are but on-ramps to the faith at different places and in for different times in histories, at different times in a believer's life even, providing access and motivation to people where they may be found and looking with different pathways and some are more refined than others, some clearer and easier than others to reach and share as a human level imperfect means assigned, allowed, and given by God to lead to a perfect and perfecting end in Jesus Christ. My own Christian journey has been a melting away and a reaffirming. I on-ramped to the faith at the AME church and then partly Catholic church because of my parents' angle and then got saved and more serious under the charismatics for a while. And then I went to college and got involved in all kinds of Christian groups. I think I was a part of every single Christian campus group. And then I got in with the Reformed group. And then the Presbyterians for a while. Then I went back to the AMEs because there wasn't enough black people with the Presbyterians. And then I went back to the press chain because it seemed to be more truth. I remember Anthony Bradley and I sitting at the table at Covenant Seminary. We were both, no, we were both going to a Baptist church at that time. And we looked at each other and we said, guess what? We're Presbyterian and we're black. We're just going to have to deal with it. We just believe in this government. We just believe in, you know, sort of the way, you know, the way that this particular denomination handles Scripture. We don't like the lack of diversity. We don't like certain ways it leans, and, and we don't like some of its, you know, overly politicized churches. We don't like all of this stuff, but guess what? We're going to have to suffer. This is what we believe God has called us to. So let me tell you, you go to Kirk of the Hills, the big white church over there, and I go to Twin Oaks, the other big white Presbyterian church over there, and that's the way God's going to take us. We're not going to go to the same one because just like seminary, they'll confuse us. Now, let me tell you, I am, and then I went, so I went Presbyterian, and guess what? Here I am right now, okay? A press PCA pastor, all right? Okay, I am not suggesting church hopping or switching denominations all over the place. I am just giving one experience, good or bad, where God met me and ministered me in different churches among different people groups. My dad's tour guide company, Gulla Tours in Charleston, is a unique and true to the history of the city, tour. I recommend it. And you will get a true picture of the city if you go on his tour. But as he recommends himself, you should recognize that there are other good tours going on too in the city. And they are true in some things. They do, and they don't cover everything, and everything's not clear that he covers on his tour that ultimately, though, from their angle, are good, though different from where he comes from and where he may be traveling in the same city. Having different churches in different places, reaching different people for God's eternal plan are good things, but not the highest thing. They are there to serve, Paul says, the higher thing, to reveal and revel and relish in the gospel and the God of the gospel now and forever. And we should love that truth, right? We should not be angry or upset or concerned about it in and of itself. 
But we should be concerned when, as Paul says here, there is division. That word meaning schism or a break in belief between groups. And as verse 11 says in chapter 1, quarreling. And so what God used to bring this gospel through into many people like a holy superhighway, right? With lanes and on-ramps leading to him has instead become a demolition derby arena and competitive death races between church groups in Corinth. And to deal with this and call for love between them, Paul teaches them and us that God has not only shared out the faith to many, he has shared out to us a unifying faith. And what that means is that God has given us a faith that is diverse in its communication and cultural emphasis and thus doctrinal first and last, but is designed to unite all of the groups around the non-negotiables of the gospel. And this is what the gospel teaches. Paul basically gives it to us here in Corinthians, declaring one Lord, one Savior, one faith, one baptism, one basis of faith in the Holy Scriptures. Look at verse 2 in chapter 1. He says, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. And he says that these people are saved one way, according to verse 17, by the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And then in verse 1 of chapter 4, he talks about the mysteries of God, otherwise known as the scriptures. And then he confirms that that by saying this later down in verse 6 in chapter 4. He says, I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. But he says something else back in chapter 1 that we should not ignore. When he talks about people being, bat- being divided over who baptized them. He's being sarcastic when he says, I, shouldn't have bapti- I wish I didn't baptize any of you. He's saying that you, the reason he's being sarcastic, he's saying you are using the sign that is given to the church to declare who is identified as a church, universal, as a dividing point. That baptism, along with the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, universal signs and seals of the church, that you are a church of the universal church, given to unite the church across the ages and globe, has now become a dividing point among you. In fact, look at, look at what he says in chapter 10 and verse 16 about the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. He said, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Jesus Christ, of the Christ, the bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread. We who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. He's saying that the Lord's Supper, it unites us as one body. We partake in the sacraments in our individual churches, but it links us. It calls us and declares that we are united as churches who trust and believe in Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior, as the one who has spoken about and testified in these one holy scriptures. I believe the problem comes when we believe that our baptism removes us 
from each other instead of joins us to each other in the church. We believe that our sacraments fences us away from the church universal instead of drawing us closer, closer to it. When our government and administration of God's ministry is seen and used to separate us from the church universal instead of bringing us closer to that eternal reality. We must stop connecting our baptism and our ministries to just the way Presbyterians or Baptists do things and the way we preach, the way the frozen chosen do it and the black church does it or to make the sacraments of the Lord's table our, or our government of the church just about our being Presbyterian or Episcopal and more so about being a part, a family of the universal church of uniting us to the whole world and history of churches. When you are baptized, you are not just baptized as a visible member of Christ Central Church or the PCA. And when you are eating at the Lord's table here, you and I are not eating at Christ Central Church's table. But the church's table, the church universal's table, the holy Catholic church's table. You are not getting Christ Central Church's Jesus and preaching and ministry of Jesus. You are getting the Bibles, the church's teaching and preaching of Jesus. I hope the faith does not divide us away. It unites us to the whole. And so we love and we should love one another like, like one big worldwide church or in some cases one denominational church or in some cases one evangelical church or in some cases one Presbyterian church, group of churches or reformed churches. No matter how you want to slice it or pair it, church family with one Lord and one Savior, one faith, one baptism, one basis of faith in the Holy Scriptures is a unifying truth given to God's But you know what would help our unity? I did that, sorry. To know not only what you believe, but why you believe what you believe. Much of the divisions are caused by sheer ignorance of the faith and scriptures themselves. People in churches often advocate their systems of faith more than letting the systems of faith be roads to understanding and embracing what the Bible teaches. And what happens is we get more caught up on the, on, on the teaching, on the way we learn and how we have learned and who taught it and what kind of church we learned it in and how the preacher sounded when he gave it to us and the government and how we sang and responded, it, responded to it and the government administration around it more than the word itself. That's why he says, I'm urging you not to go beyond what we've taught in the word, right? More than the words of scriptures and what they teach themselves. I am not advocating dropping the denominational distinctives or our God called to teaching or pedagogy or, or even doctrines, but I am saying that we can't get to the unifying stuff because we are majoring on the minors, right? We are majoring on the structures and church's philosophy of ministry of how we feel they're called to give the truth, and we lose the gospel stickiness between us and replace the stickiness with sticking to ourselves and sticking it to each other, Right? But not only has God shared at a unifying faith, 
he shared out an unselfish faith. Where we are called not to fight against each other, but rather fight with each other and for each other. When Paul talks about quarreling and division among God's people, just the idea and talk of it is absurd. Considering what the gospel means, considering the unifying aspects of the faith, that these church people who have the same scripture and same salvation should be fighting against each other, creating schism or dissension and hatred. Let me tell you what this fighting means. It is bad fighting. It's where eventually they will seek to declare that someone else is not truly the church. Or we're a better church. Or we're closer to God. Because we understand this and we, our pastors learn Greek and Hebrew and they go to seminary and y'all's don't. Well, your pastors went to cemetery. That's why your church dead and all kind of craziness. And we will take one or two of the distinctives, now here's where it's headed, and replace Christ and him crucified ultimately as the mark of the church where the gospel becomes secondary to how you give the gospel. It'll make people doubt that Christ alone is good enough. And to counter this, Paul is saying we need to fight with. We need to fight with each other, alongside each other, to keep the unifying truths the truth. Because the stake is not how many times you do Lord's Supper, or dunking, or sprinkling, or dancing, or shouting, or kneeling, or jumping. But the purity of the church and the gospel itself against a world of confusion and evil. Look at verse 14 in chapter 10 with me again says this, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread we break, is it not a particip- participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread. We who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one Bread. Consider the people of Israel are, are not those who eat the sacrifices, participants in the altar. What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that with pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. And then look back at chapter 3 again, verses 5. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, each receive his, his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field in God's building. Okay. The church 
must be united across all kind of lines so that we can fight with each other. Securing the faith from the outside forces of idolatry and confusion. And according to chapter 3, that is done as we love one another and stand and say, this is the gospel that we all serve, whether we're watering or we're planting or we're doing the foundation or we're doing it this way. This right here, this piece in the middle of it that our structures are surrounding, whatever way we decide to build it, this is the truth and love of God and Jesus Christ. Churches must be united to hold the grace and love of God intact, not only by keeping to the central connecting universal church, church teachers of the Bible, but be united in working together in our communities against the effects of sin and be fellow advocates of the grace and salvation of God in Jesus Christ. We are called to unite for the purity of the church and its message. And guess what? We need each other. We need each other to be strong and loving and true to Jesus in this world. We can't all do all the same things in history all around the globe to all the people. And I am going to say, distinguish ourselves from what isn't the church. Let me make this clear. There are those who claim to be the church that aren't the church. Who survive and sneak in a false gospel by coming across as just another denomination or part of Jesus' body. And they can do that because we are not connecting as his churches and being united to support one another across denominational lines. And when the line is broken, the Mormons and the black Hebrew Israelites and the Jehovah Witnesses and the metaphysicals and the world of cults find a home right in the middle of our infighting madness. All because we don't and we fail to affirm each other's brotherhood and sisterhood. And, and we begin to f- and, 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 and fail to fight alongside each other for each other. We have created an environment of fighting over politics and economics and mode of this and that. And whose fault is this or that? And who isn't really reformed? And to the world, it can look like a free-for-all and a street fight brawl of religion. That now defies the church. What is the church? A bunch of folks fighting with each other. And now, let me tell you when you have a brawl, what happens. Y'all know what happens when you have a brawl. Anything and anybody can be a part of it, right? So now anything and anybody can be part of the discussion and pervert the faith. That is not the, that, those that are not the faith of all. We have created, and I've been a part of it. A madhouse. And in the middle of that madness, Satan and his perverted cult are line dancing and whisting people and others away and dividing us further and confusing the gospel and picking up the pieces of our battle fodder and creating false belief between the Baptists and Presbyterians and Charismatics and Catholics and Orthodox and Episcopals. There is enough bad bloodshed and hatred to sustain and feed demonic, succubus, truth-scavenging cults that are misleading people. got people saying, yeah, we the church. 
Can't you tell? We just like the church. Well, my Baptist church says this. Yeah, those are the Baptists. You know, we're all the same. We all have our distinctives. This kind of brings me around to what else this is about. Not just fighting with each other, but for each other. Look with me at chapter 1, verse 2. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ, Jesus called to be saints together with all those in every place who call upon the name of our Lord Jesus, both their Lord and ours. And then if we look, we talked about in chapter 3, it says that Apollos, right? Uh, what is Paul? Some water, some do other parts of the work, but God gives the increase. And then it says this, verse 10 in chapter 3. According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, right? Everyone who leads a church or denomination, be careful how you do it, right? For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on a foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one have done, has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. And then look at one more verse with me, verses uh, in chapter 10 at the end, verse 33. 31, sorry. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. I don't know whether you recognize it, but Paul's whole letter is a confrontation. But why? He's hoping to win them. He's hoping to win them to a deeper, more sanctified understanding of the glorious gospel. He doesn't want them missing or adding anything to the truth that would cut them off and living, fighting, and dividing against each other like that. So what is Paul doing and calling us to? To fight for each other. Back in 315 AD, a controversy came up in the church, among the churches, called the Arian Controversy where Arius, a theologian and leader in the church in Alexandria, began believing and then teaching that Jesus was not equal to the Father God because he interpreted begotten as meaning he had a beginning. Well, led by Athanasius, a Catholic bishop, the churches gathered together to confront and discuss this controversy by using the scriptures, not to win, but to win the church of Alexandria back from heresy and to unifying the church to keep the divinity of Jesus and the salvation through Jesus true. And out of that council, they came up with the Nicene Creed that we still use today in churches across the globe. This council and creed happened to rescue a church, to love on a church that was believing something that could have destroyed the truth of the gospel. So they got together to debate, to confront, to struggle, dare I say it, to fight, to come out of their perspective corners and across their drawn in the sand lines and fight not against each other, but for each other. Not to win, but as Paul says, to win them to the faith and back to the truth. 
Paul is saying these guys, these teachers, these different groups are there to sanctify the whole church, to be able to engage with each other from a corner, from a viewpoint, but with the gospel truth central. In loving ecumenical community, we allow ourselves to be challenged rightly and edged rightly by each other and discuss and debate and argue. Why? Out of love for each other, not to be right. Not because we think we're right, because when we enter into engagement, we should humble ourselves and realize that we are all at risk, as Paul says, of having God use someone else in his providence to burn us and burn off the stuff that is clouding our view of God, because not one of our denominations has it all. Not even the PCA. It is unloving let our differences become a fence instead of a gateway to serve each other. To learn. So put yourself in a heart position to learn and to be loved on by other believers from other churches who are orthodox too so that we can grow in the humility of the gospel that says we still need Jesus and, and my righteous, my theological righteous will not save me. We need to fight for each other, confronting and call each other to keep preaching and teaching and reaching and doing the word, even if we don't do it the way they do. We have different commitments theologically than they do. Got an article this week, recommendation, from my PCUSA friend. Oh, some of y'all don't even know what that means. Y'all don't even know why I said ooh. And he had an article about how to preach, written by another PCUSA guy. Ooh. Yeah, the denomination we broke away from in 1973 to do our own thing, it was incredible. And it sharpened me. It helped me. (laughs) I learned something from a PCUSA person. Ooh. See, y'all aren't in the deep part of the fight, like... I am sometimes. I remember uh, John and I were debating over something, John Wells. And so he was like, hey, man, I'm going to have to bring in some heavy hitters. I'm going to have to bring in Deuce because he's in seminary getting his Ph.D. And I want to see y'all go at it because, you know, y'all on that level. And um, so we called up Deuce, and he was on Skype. Not, Not Skype. What's that thing called? Google Hangout? He and his DTS, Dallas Theological Seminary Learning, his Bible church ways, non-denominational Bible church. I had my tight theological hermeneutic Presbyterian approach, and I got schooled. Praise God. I got loved on. He fought He fought for me as we went back and forth, and I was one to something deeper in the faith. You know what I learned? I better really know my scriptures better than I do. I know my theology pretty well. But homeboy was like, hey, what about this scripture here? I'm like, oh, man. Um, Yeah, that's right. Like, it was good. Let me go as far as to say I want to be a better Presbyterian so that I can fight better for my Baptist and Bible church brothers and sisters, and I hope it is true, vice versa. I must repent to you 
some of you, because I don't always believe this stuff, just like you do. It's hard for me to love ecumenically. Sometimes hard in my own denomination between other churches. Because they are so wrong. (laughs) And I am so right. And when you're right, you want to fight. And I fought. I've said things on Facebook. Don't put nothing on Facebook. But the faith I have says I do what I do for others in the glory of God and his desires before my desire to be right about what and how I've embraced theological denominationally. I have come down on big churches for being big. And ethnic churches, Anglo included, yeah, white is an ethnicity, for being so ethnic. And non-heady churches for being so hard and emotionally driven. And this church for that, and I've even shared it with you and passed on a bad disease as your pastor. You know what I realized? We should not bring criticism up about other churches or denominations that we consider the church unless we are committed to fight with and for them for their good and glory of God and his mission of the gospel in Jesus Christ. How dare we lob bombs at each other and go running? How dare we blog? How dare we make behind-the-door statements about other churches who are proclaiming Jesus Christ and run like cowards or strangers to our brothers and sisters in the Lord? Christ Central is wrong. It's wrong. And I know it's difficult because we see all kind of things and we get upset and we get jealous and we get mad. And we're like, oh, no, I can't believe they did this. And I, I understand there's a lot of craziness when it comes to churches. But it's easy to believe that you're right and that makes you righteous. And it doesn't. Paul is talking here when he says, I become like the Jew and a Gentile about an incarnational ministry where his one presence in all and to all wins them to Christ and the church and unifies those who aren't gods who, or didn't think they were part of what God was doing or had idolatrous views about being better or less. And he's doing and imitating only what he saw and sees our Lord do. That Jesus is the stuff of love in the church. And as the central element and theme of our scripture, our baptism and our sacrament, he has come to and in some ways allowed us to be and build around him and for him a people. Jesus given himself to the Baptists and to the Presbyterians and to the Charismatics and to the Episcopals and to the non-denominationals and to be, get this, in the haze of smoke and lights in a church show and be strummed and rocked out and beat and torn and broken and poured out so he can be the Lord of his many and the stuff of unity and the God of an unselfish but brotherly sisterly, loving faith of which he alone must then be the Lord 
the Savior and lover of his church. I'm asking, well, I'm not. The scripture is commanding something that is extremely difficult. We will mess up. We will end up, like my son sometimes do, play fighting and end up real fighting. We may end up trying to fight for each other and end up fighting against each other. Your righteousness comes through Christ the Lord, and so does theirs. Let's love one another in the church universal. Let's pray.